Welcome to The Savvy Founder, the one place for entrepreneurs and business owners, away from the everyday bustle, where we help you find your path to a profitable and bright future. Now here's your host, The Savvy Founder and armchair sociologist himself, Philip Topham. Hello and welcome to The Savvy Founder. I'm Philip Topham, the host. Today, I'm very excited to have Bill Waldo in the studio with me, or rather in the virtual Zoom studio. Welcome, Bill. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Philip. Thank you for inviting me. You know, glad that you're here. So, uh, you know, I've worked together now for a couple of years and uh, have known each other for a little bit longer than that. And you're a, a fixture in the Orange County eco startup ecosystem. But uh, before we do get delve into that and all the experiences you have there, why don't you give the audience a little bit of thumbnail about yourself and how did you get into the ecosystem in the first place? Sure, I'll try and keep it down to no less than 30 minutes. Anyway, I'll, I'll keep it short. Um, my background is I was an entrepreneur myself. I was actually in the food industry. I had a food company uh, for almost 30 years, started my uh, last year in college. So I'm going to try not to uh, age myself anymore than I have to. Uh, Fortunately, it was a very successful uh, sales and marketing company. And I reached a point where it was time for a change. And uh, I sold the company and got involved in angel investing. You know, I had to figure out what to do with myself. They don't play golf. Uh, and I was too young to retire. So I joined uh, what's known as Techos Angels, which is now the second largest uh, angel group in the country. And I've been a very active member of that organization now for 14 years. I serve as their membership uh, chairman as well as I'm on their board of directors. So it's been a, been a really good experience working with startups uh, and helping them navigate through it. And of course, as you know, Philip, I've been a part of the Small Business Development Center now for the past 13 years. So uh, all three combined, it kind of, at least I feel like it helps me do a better job with clients uh, because I've got the angel investment side, I've got the consulting side and my own business behind me. So that's kind of the whole background in a nutshell. Got it. Yeah. Let, let, let me ask a question about the, the business that you had, the 30 years in the business, and you started it right out of college. Um, so that's certainly, bef you know, before the dot-com era, and it wasn't a technology business. But if you think back to when you started that business, was there much help for you to start? Was there such a thing as a startup community? Actually, you ask a good question, Philip. There was nothing close to that. I was uh, out there by myself. I was encouraged by one of one of the what became one of my largest customers uh, that by having local representation in the market versus coming out of Los Angeles would create an opportunity for me. Uh, and then from that point, I started the business. I quit my other job. And uh, for the first year, I didn't have a clue for sure what I was doing uh, in order to have, really know how to run a business. So by, um, you know, uh, trial and error, I was uh, managed to navigate through it. I uh, had help from customers. Timing was, was pretty good. Uh, caught a couple of breaks and uh, it started to expand after the, about the first year and a half. I hired my first employee and then we kind of took off with that. Uh, expanded to California seven years later. And at the end of it, we were at about 100 employees with two locations. 
representing at any given time about 40 different manufacturers. So it's one of those stories where it doesn't happen too often. I caught a lot of breaks. I was fortunate enough not to have to secure funding. Uh, I was able to bootstrap it myself and uh, again, blessed with the fact that it was a successful business. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate that, that background. Now, Today, um, you got into, as you said, angels investing, and we'll get a little bit more into that. But so let's let's compare that to your experience in the, as a founder with nothing uh, back then, and you have been doing now advising founders for what uh, 10, 12 years, thirteen, thirteen years. Okay, so I'd rather keep it at five, but I have to tell the truth. Thirteen, it was actually, thirteen. Yes. So. In that in that in that system in thirteen years, is the support for founders changed much? Yes, uh, dramatically. Uh, you said it early on. Uh, we really have today what I consider to be an incredible ecosystem with resources available for a number of different organizations that offer services to startups, help them navigate through the various steps that are necessary, simple things like a business license, um, proper structure, when is it time to talk to an attorney, uh, all the different steps that one needs to understand, navigate through uh, to have a, even a chance to get a business launched. Today, we've got uh, the, well, we've got the Small Business Development Center that does that. We've, there's SCORE that does that. We've got, we're part of the largest ecosystem, in my opinion, in Orange County, right here at the UCI Applied Innovation. We've got three stories and 100,000 square feet of technology, uh, subject matter experts. Uh, they have their own uh, incubator program called Wayfinder. So, you know, overall today, uh, I, I feel you know, like, like we really do have a phenomenal ecosystem designed to help entrepreneurs. Wished I would have had it 30 years ago, but it didn't exist. Yeah, I can remember right out of college taking a uh, class at Golden West College on entrepreneurship, and it was a pale comparison to what is available on the internet or in any of the institutions today. They they much, much better. I can recall the little, here's how you get your business license, and here's how you do a create a business plan by having a 40 page analysis of the marketplace, right? Yeah. You remember those days? Oh, I sure do. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, very long, very involved, but you know, to your question, Philip, it's a good point you made. And that is the ecosystem we have today that if people take advantage of it and become aware of it, uh, there is a tremendous amount of support out there. That's basically a volunteer type support. You know, it's like the SBDC. We we have multiple clients that we help through the process, and because it's the SBDC and we're funded by the by the government, there's absolutely no cost to to the client. So that to me is a huge huge benefit. Yeah, for those of you listening, that SBDC is the Small Business Development Center. So that's what it stands for. Uh, so on the founders themselves, have you seen any? Uh, differences in the way they're prepared uh, 13 years ago, 10 years ago, compared to how prepared are they today? Are they, are they, are they just have the same problems or are they better prepared or is there any differences? 
Again, a very good question. Um, I have a mixture of all of the above. Um, I think they're more prepared today. It depends on where they where they come from. You know what? You know their educational background is always helpful, but you know we've got certain uh, entrepreneurs that because they graduated from college and they, and they took you know they, they have a business degree that they should be an entrepreneur tomorrow. Uh, you got that type, and, and they've got a lot to learn. Uh, we have other types that have had family entrepreneurs. They understand the concept. Uh, so I've got a mixture of all of them. And, you know, it, to me, the ideal one is somebody that, that has done their homework. They've done customer discovery and they have a pretty good idea that entrepreneurship is not for everybody. And, and if you've got the passion, you've got the enthusiasm, you've done your homework, you know, you're, it's, it's an entrepreneur that in my opinion has a chance to take off. And, you know, I see a number of those, but I also see others as well. Yeah. So let's delve into what do you mean has done their homework? What, what, what's an example of done their homework? Okay. So I would call it customer discovery. If an entrepreneur has an idea or, or a problem or a solution that he feels strongly about, one of the number one things that, in my opinion, is, is, is critical is the, the entrepreneur has a great idea and he wants to pursue it. Smart thing to do first is do the customer discovery, go out and talk to the customers, find out what they think of the idea you have. Are you, are you solving a problem for them? And do they think you've got the right solution? And, you know, it's gathering that information first before you start the whole uh, pathway towards, you know, software development and all the necessary steps that are very costly. You know, it's one thing about, the entrepreneur think he's got the greatest idea in the world, but he really doesn't know what he has until he hears from the customer. Right. That's that's the proverbial adage: uh, make what you sell, don't sell what you make. Very well said. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, in that that customer discovery process, uh, do you see uh, what what are the what's the best um, advice for the startups to to get out and see the customers because you know somebody has an idea and they go well where's my customer right what what advice do you give them to be able to really dial that in and it's easy to say just go talk to your customer but what does that mean so good good again another good point it first of all it's identifying and knowing who your customer is Uh, for us we define a customer as the one who pays you uh, also, you have constituents. So that's not, that might be a user that doesn't pay you, but both of them become very critical. And so when I talk about customer discovery, uh, I typically ex- uh, ask a client to prepare maybe a, a survey of maybe 10 short questions that are critical to help them understand, you know, am I on the right track? Uh, do they like my ideas? Do they understand my ideas? Uh, and would they use them? And would they pay for them? So it's, it depends on the product and or service they're offering, but it's, it's putting together and thinking through the right questions that they need to have relative, relative to intelligence to help them make the necessary steps. So to your question, Philip, it's, it's de- defining who the customer is. If, if it happens to be, let's say it's a, a retail store. Well, that's the customer and it's critical to understand that they uh, are clear about your business model and they, and they like your solutions, but then 
you also have to go to the user uh, because he's important or she's important and find out if they like the application or the, or the whole business model that satisfies them. So that we, we know that both of them have unique differences, but you're solving a problem for both of them. Yeah, so, so thank you, Bill. So we've talked about that there's a lot more support for startups today and it's not, uh, entrepreneurship's not for everybody. They need to learn how to do, you know, they need to learn that they can do it or that's what they want to do. And this right. customer discovery. So in that early stages of talking to entrepreneurs, how do you know that they have the, the right stuff to be that entrepreneur? Is it that they actually do the customer discovery? You know, you say, hey, this person didn't do the customer discovery, so they're not a good entrepreneur or they did it and they're good. Entre- Is there any like warning signs to say this guy has it, this guy doesn't have it or a girl? I should say, you know. You're right. And again, another good question. It's it's all over the board. Um, and for me, I can typically, because I've done this long enough, usually during the initial uh, assessment session I'll have with a client, uh, I'll ask them certain questions. And I guess it's more of an instinct, but I can tell by their responses if they've really done the homework. Uh, and I can also tell if they really have the passion and a clear understanding of the the whole venture that's ahead of him, that entrepreneurship is a real challenge. It's not for everyone. And it requires one huge commitment. And if, if, if I get the feeling that that's where their mind is, if they, if they understand that, you know, they can't uh, for very long do all the heavy lifting themselves, that they appreciate and understand how critical building a team is uh, all these things I kind of try to pick up on. And if I sense that they are going in that direction, uh, that makes me feel confident that at least I've got somebody that I can work with that really could be an entrepreneur. Uh, and on a lot of people, because they don't have certain things, doesn't mean they couldn't be a great entrepreneur. They just need some guidance and coaching uh, in the right direction. And as long as they're coachable, uh, we have every chance to help them uh, satisfy their, their, their needs to go out there and, and be successful. Perfect. Yeah. So segueing onto that, this uh, coachability, they have the, they are willing to build their startup and really dig into what it takes. They have that passion. Um, going back to the question about, has that changed? Like are, are, are more people aware of what's necessary to be an entrepreneur or are they, you know, I, you've, you and I have talked about in the past, the Silicon Valley myth, right? There's a lot of people that believe uh, maybe because of shark tank, you can raise money very quickly. Right. And it's now entertainment with shark tank and that sort of stuff where Silicon Valley used to be able to sit down in the dot-com era and have a conversation and walk away with a check with, with, you know, 5 million bucks. So there's a, there's a, that myth out there. Is that causing more founders to be unprepared or are more founders prepared? I, again, I can only share with you my experiences. I think what I see are more founders that are unprepared and, and need coaching and guidance uh, to become more prepared. A lot of them really don't understand the landscape today as, as it is today versus the past. 
And, and oftentimes, if again, if they're coachable and they're willing to listen, we can guide them through that and help them prepare. But I can tell you, uh, most of them don't have a real understanding. You're right about the, the um, Shark Tank. I hear it all the time. Uh, I've even had clients on Shark Tank. But people under, understand Shark Tank is for entertainment. And, and the deals that they set up are done six months in advance. And oftentimes, the producer uh, wants the entrepreneur to modify a little bit because they want to see some drama and entertainment to keep the audience interested. So you can't really compare the typical angel investment process as you see it on Shark Tank because it's not totally realistic. The questions are, yeah, they ask great questions, but you know, you still, you can't base it on that because it's far more complicated than that. And, it, and I guess, Philip, what's really important is what it takes to get in front of a Shark Tank or any investor. It, it, you know, it's that people don't understand the processes that are involved, the different gaps that have to be filled, the traction that's required to get enough together just to get people's interest to raise seed capital and then on to growth capital uh, after that. Yeah, which is, that's a perfect thing. You, you said things have changed. And so that's a perfect segue into how have you seen it change, particularly in the, the investor side of things? Now you've been uh, part of that community for 13 years investing. And so first let's talk about how did you, I, you said you were bored after exiting your company and you got into angel investing. How was that first part of foray into becoming an angel investor? I felt like I was, had absolutely no clue what I was doing. Uh, made a lot of mistakes, uh, lost a lot of money, uh, but also learned some very valuable lessons. And you know, like any other angel investor that has not done that before, uh, I had to learn uh, to listen uh, before I took out my checkbook and, and you know, follow other people's advice and, and go through that process. You know, it, it's the angel world today is, is different than it was 14 years ago, of course. But the fundamentals are still basic. They're still there. You know, angel investors, uh, and we've got a large group of them. So you know, one of the benefits we have is we collaborate with other, invest other investors uh, to share knowledge. And, and we've improved that process dramatically. I'm not, I might have got off a little bit track here, Philip. So bring me back if I'm No, not no, no, no. That's fine. So, yeah, that, that's, you know, what has the... Like I always think of um, investors on a continuum of skills. Like I think of the Silicon Valley investment, the, the large institutions, they've got their investment strategy really dialed in. And if they're doing their round B and, and doing raises, they know exactly what performance measures and metrics they want to hit. And as soon as companies meet those, they'll invest, but otherwise they'll just sit and not not participate. They're very rigorous. They're um, just like Wall Street. They've got it all dialed in. Yes. Was was and then I, at the other end is I see individuals, uh, maybe friends and family, or they call themselves angels because they had a small business and exit, and they've invested in one or two businesses, and they call themselves an angel, and they don't really have a a business strategy and investment strategy. Uh, has has the you know 
the angel community change? Did they always have a strategy? You know, in does it become more dr data driven? Where well, do they fit on that? Where do they fit on that continuum? Yeah. First of all, I think it's important to point out that many entrepreneurs uh, are somewhat delusional in that they feel like VCs are their first target. And to your point, Philip, VCs are highly structured, very professional, and uh, they typically won't even look at a company unless it fits within their wheelhouse. And unless that company is growing and they're probably somewhere around seven to $10 million in revenue, at that point and only at that point would you get their interest. And, th and that assumes you've got some kind of a connection to get into one of them to talk to you. Rarely have I seen a, a VC uh, have interest investing in an early stage startup. Um, so that, that's the VC world. Uh, with, with angels, we've got, you know, we've been able to, and again, this is, I can only speak for the one I'm involved in, but we've got a good cross-section of members now. We don't have the old boys club anymore. We've got a group that ranges from 25 years old, clear up to 85 years old, uh, with, with varying backgrounds and some very smart people. You know, of course, our rules to, to meet the SEC requirements is that if you're going to be an angel member, you've got to be accredited uh, and, and, you know, obviously be committed to uh, investing in what is probably one of the highest risk investments you can make, and that is investing in a startup. So that's, that's, the, that's the part you got to really analyze and, and, you know, it's a high risk, but uh, the rewards are there too. And, uh, you know, in the angel world, we, we've done, you know, uh, more investments. Uh, we, well, actually we did more investments this year than last year, but last year we did significant amount of investments given the COVID thing. And, and I guess the last comment I make on that before I get totally off topic is from the research and from the people I talked to, Money-wise, there is trillions of dollars out there that investors are, uh, have and are ready to invest when they find the right opportunity. So there is clearly no shortage of money. It's, it's finding the right sources and having the right business model to get their attention. Yeah, got it. Yeah, we've, we've with all the quantitative easing, there was a lot of you know, the, the Federal Reserve went into the little bank and added a couple of zeros on the on the balance sheet. It didn't actually go print up print money. It just showed up in the banks were able to loan more stuff. Yes. So absolutely. There's there's uh, I, I've heard that as well, that the U.S. economy, uh, a certain portion of the economy is drowning in cash mm -hmm. and they need places to put it because uh, the the your CD at 0.05% just isn't cutting it. Not too attractive. Not, not too attractive. Your bank account, yes. Savings, the savings interest is about a half or a quarter of a percent. But you're right, Philip, that the money is out there uh, and they're anxious to find the right opportunities because as it sits in the banks, they are not making too much interest on it. So they're anxious to find the right deals. So let's let's talk about that. Like what What is the right deal and is the right deal different today than it was 10 years ago i the only no i don't think so i think that investors tend to look deeper in terms of due diligence than they did 10 years ago out of just simply out of learning lessons or lessons learned uh, but it, it's pretty much the same uh you know investors are looking for the, the basic uh, uh items i mean they, they the key thing thereafter is is the differentiation. You know what? Why you? What what's unique and different about you? Okay, and you know, 
the other question is, is, you know, what kind of a team do you have? You know, we joke about it all the time, but investors got to like, they got to love the horse, but they got to be madly in love with the jockeys. And, uh, and because at the end of the day, that's who investors are going to invest in. So you see more of that today, Philip, than you did even 10 years ago. Uh, I think there's just, a, there's a greater amount of sophistication uh, and, and uh, there's, there's, you know, people are trying to do a better job. And we've been working on this forever uh, on due diligence to do a more thorough deep dive, if you will, on companies that we're looking at to at least mitigate uh, some of the risks involved. So you, I guess to answer your question, that's really the difference today is, is that we're trying to do a more deeper due diligence, but at the same time, we're trying not to make it so complicated and, and long-term that the investor or the entrepreneur gets frustrated and takes off because, you know, an angel group is too difficult to deal with. So we're trying to do a better job in a shorter period of time. Got it. And give, give the audience an example of what, what does due diligence mean? It's, it's, you know, it's a common word, but what would they expect? Okay, so typically what they want to do is validate, if, if, you know, typically there's an application that the entrepreneurs filled out. There's typically a, a PowerPoint presentation that they presented that actually got the interest from the investor, but it's, it's checking out their backgrounds. If they have some business that we're going to call some of the companies and, and let, ask them how they're, they're being serviced by this entrepreneur, what their attitudes are. Uh, we're going to do a, a brief, simple background check. We're not going to dive too deep, but we want to we want to know uh, what some of the basic history is. I mean, if somebody uh, was in jail for five years and just got out last year, it probably would be a good idea that we know that. Uh, so we try to get an understanding of the character and the quality of the individual. It's a validation of all the statements that they made, uh, and, you know, and to find out if 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 everything they're saying is correct. Because typically, you know, an investor presentation makes a lot of broad statements because they're, you know, they're, they're out there trying to raise capital. So the role of the people managing due diligence is to just validate everything that was said uh, and then make a decision from that if they feel like uh, the risk has been mitigated enough to where they should get together and uh, uh, write a check. Got it. Well, thank you. It, it, it covered it's. It uh, takes a little bit of the, the mystique out of due diligence. It's just like anything. If you're going to hire an employee, you're going to check them out. And that's about all you're, you're really doing. It's just checking out that the person you're investing in, the company you're investing in, has they did what they said they did. That's, that's pretty much it. Yep, that's it. It's all about validation. It's not that you're not believing anybody, but it's, it's wise to check and recheck and make sure everything that we heard is correct. It's like somebody saying that there's no competition, which is typically a mistake. But oftentimes we do some research on the competition to see if the competition is as strong or as weak as the entrepreneur said they were. So we get a better feel for the what we call barriers to entry. You know, are they are they tough to get in, or is it simple for uh, a competitor to come in and take over your business tomorrow? So, and that's another part of the due diligence process that helps. Uh, with risk management. Yeah, exactly. So, so on that, the, the, you know, the types of companies and such, have you seen any changes in the type, the founders themselves or the teams, you know, was it in the past solopreneurs, was it big teams, small teams, you know, what different industries, what 
is there any trends that you could say, hey, I never thought about it, but maybe it's slightly different today than, than what it was 10 years ago? Not a lot, but there are some changes. I mean, I, we see a lot of, and maybe it's because where we're located, but we see a lot of, of uh, uh, entrepreneurs that have a sense of entitlement. And when you have that issue, it, it makes it difficult. I see more of that, I guess, today, Philip, than I did uh, in the past. And you know, I, I guess the, the number one thing I have to identify is, do they have entrepreneurship truly in the blood or do they think that they should have it? And, and I try to really find out you know, if, they, if they understand the involvement. And you know, a few years back, um, I, 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 I'm not really, I, I really can't say there's a big change, but I can say that the, the expectations of, of being successful uh, as an entrepreneur today have changed. It's, you know, we're in a very competitive world. Uh, we deal with technology all the time. And as you know, Philip, technology changes every five minutes. So if you're dealing with a tech uh, model, it's, you know, we got to understand, does this thing really have the ability to scale rapidly? And is it really unique and different? Uh, so we're looking at a lot of that today, more so uh, than we probably did five years ago. Uh, same thing with med tech. You know, it's you know if, if you're in, if you're a med tech investor, you have to understand that that's a most of the time it's a ten year proposition. So there's yeah, a lot so, of variables there. Yeah. Yeah. So what so what I'm hearing is you know of course we all know we're living in a world that the technology is rapidly advancing, and so certainly you've seen the changes in the technology being used and within the company, but. On the people side of things, you said that there's this sense of entitlement. What, what do you mean by that? And I shouldn't use that so broadly because it's really in, in a narrow area. But what I mean by that is oftentimes we'll come across somebody that's young. He's right out of college. And uh, he feels that because he has a business degree, he should be an entrepreneur and he should be in business. Uh, or he's from a family that, that had a business. And because of that, he feels like he should have a business too. And all that's great. As long as you spent the time understanding the definition of an entrepreneur and what's involved as you begin that journey uh, towards building something, building a product. And you know, a lot of people, they, they get way over on their skis before they've even had a chance to better understand uh, the roadmap ahead of them. Yeah. So let me, I, I look at that as a person is not self-aware, right? They're, they're not aware of their own, um, maybe their value system, their own uh, capabilities, strengths, weaknesses. And they, they see these aspirational figures. They see the Elon Musks. They see the the Steve Jobs and see all the Silicon Valley, uh, the Zuckerbergs and said, oh, they were young when they did it. I'm young. I should be able to just do what they did. Right. Is, is that what you mean by entitlement? Absolutely. And, and good point. And the other part is all oftentimes uh, they want to repeat back that, you know, uh, look, look at the, the founders of Google, look at the founders of Apple. Uh, they made they made that all happen out of their garage. Well, that those are very unique um, um, events that have occurred. But 
the bottom line is, you know, it's it's there's not it, it, there's not a ton of Googles and a ton of Apples out there. You know, it, it's it's the process of of building what you have to build and understanding what's involved. You know, it, it's it's an education, and they've got to to understand that. I mean, I the other part that I hear frequently is, well, you know, I've heard about this company, this company, they just got thirty million dollars. Why am I struggling so hard to get two million dollars? And what they don't understand is. What, why did this other company get $30 million? Do you really understand the depth of that other company? And then more important, do you know where they got the 30 million from and what they did to get the 30 million? So there's, you know, there, a lot of people hear different stories and they think, well, okay, this company was similar to mine. They got $30 million as a startup. So why can't I? And, got it. Uh, yeah. So, so on that, uh, you know, I put, I also put entrepreneurs into sort of, life skills like the 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 entrepreneurs that are recently out of college like one or they're just at that cusp of they just graduated or are in the process of graduating that age group then i then i think of entrepreneurs that have had 5 years of corporateish experience maybe different jobs never really had a career um then i have then i think about the individuals that have been in corporate and leave corporate, you know, they, that start a business. And then I also think about then the entrepreneurs that are very late into life where they've had a full career and somehow come up with an invention and suddenly say, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Is that a fair characteristic of the types of the, like this age strata of entrepreneurs, or is there some others that I should be thinking about? No, no. I think you've got a good handle on it. Um, You know, I'll add to that, that, you know, I tell entrepreneurs, if, if you, if you want to be, um, let, let's say you want to be in the restaurant business, okay? And you got this great idea and you're convinced it's going to fly. Well, it would be helpful if that entrepreneur maybe spent a year in a restaurant uh, first and then go out and start building a you know, business model on how you do it. Because now they've had a chance to do it. Uh, you know, if you're going to go after an e-commerce, maybe, maybe dive into that a little bit and see what other people are doing. But maybe spend a year with another company so you at least get a full understanding of what's involved. Doing that saves the entrepreneur, entrepreneur a tremendous amount of time and money because now they got a really good, better understanding of, of the sector that they want to get into and obviously come up with a new model that's going to change the world. Nice. Um, so as we, we sort of, uh, we, we've covered the founders, the part of the history of how that's changed, the investment, how that's changed angels. As you think about the community that we have here in Southern California and the relationship, you know, how do we, how do we get more founders, uh, more companies created? What would you, if you could wave your magic wand what would you what would you do to the ecosystem to change it and improve it so that more founders are successful? So, what your question is uh, in terms of accelerators, um, a- a- any anything you know, is is it is it is it an accelerator? Is it you know more more self awareness? I don't I don't know what it is. Is there is there something that you would add to the way we? Uh, that founders go about trying to build their dreams, you know, what, what, what's the, what ingredient 
is going to give them the most success? Okay, it's a good question. It's it's going to be, I'll go back to customer discovery. It's going to be the research. It's going to be getting as much of an understanding of the space that you want to get into. So you're crystal clear on the positives and the negatives. It's understanding what your competition's doing. Even if they're not a direct competitor, everybody has a competitor. Whether they say so or not, they do. You know, McDonald's considers a hot dog stand across the street a competitor because they're in the food business. So, you know, understanding the space, understanding the customer's needs, uh, as much research as you can do uh, is critical. If you can uh, get involved in an incubator, that's fine. As long as the incubator really has subject matter experts that can really help you with your model. You know, that's critical. I've seen people join incubators because they thought they were going to get all this help and they need to do some investigation or I should say their due diligence. Uh, if they're going to join an incubator, make sure that the right skill sets are there to actually bring value to them. Um, you know, and then of course, the more popular one is an accelerator, which the only difference between an accelerator and an incubator is, this, is the time. You know, accelerators typically are on and off in about six months, but there's some great ones out there. And again, if they have the right subject matter experts, it's terrific. It's like here at, at UCI, uh, we've got probably 300. I mean, they claim to be subject matter experts, but you know, we have the Wayfinder program here and the entrepreneurs that are smart, they join that and they tap all of the different uh, experts because they can get them for no charge, but they, it, it's a tremendous help uh, to educate uh, the entrepreneur as he starts navigating through the whole process. You know, a lot of them don't understand uh, financing. They don't understand the cost of getting into business. They don't do the proper financials that gives them an idea. Hey, what's it going to cost? Uh, and where do I need to be? How much, how much revenue do I have to have to do all these different things if I'm going to grow the company? I can tell you, Philip, one of the biggest things missing with entrepreneurs, they've never spent time evaluating or trying to find out, you know, what, what are the financials? What, what's going to be necessary here? What, what would it take to get to break even? And, and you know, that's, a, that's a big missing link with a lot of entrepreneurs is they've not spent time evaluating the financials to get a better understanding of where are they going? What are my cost of goods? All the various things that you look for. Uh, uh, in financials to help prepare for a business model. Yeah. So if I were to recap, you, you, a founder that is really inquisitive and wants to learn about their customer and is willing to walk in their customer's shoes. That's, that's what you want to see first. Very well said. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but on the, on the financial side of things, you know, I've seen that as well, that that's an area that there many people are ill prepared and even uh, mid-career entrepreneurs that left corporate America are, are ill prepared to understand finances. They, they, they understood a budget, they managed a budget, but they didn't actually understand a profit and a loss or a, a cash flow statement and how that works. Uh, how do we, how does, uh, they solve those sorts of problems because there's, you know, they're doing everything. They're trying to sell. They they don't have a lot of money. You know, how do we get them uh, those skills? Because you know, you're trying to you're trying to cram a you know four or five year MBA program into 
their runway and their runway might be six, nine months, uh, you know, when they first start, right. Or maybe 12 months if they've, they've had some fortitude. Well, that a good point. Uh, typically entrepreneurs are not financial wizards. Uh, and I'm not one. And, and if I need help, uh, I'm, I know I need to go somewhere to get the help. Entrepreneurs need to do the same thing as early as they possibly can. They don't have to be financial wizards. They just have to get some form of assistance. And maybe that's what they're going to use an a subject matter as, expert for. But somebody has to help them, at the, again, as early as they can to work out some financials to get an idea of what it's going to take uh, to get the cash flow positive. How many customers do I need? Uh, you know, based on my sales, uh, what are my, you know, again, what are my cost of goods going to be? Transportation, all the different things, depending on the product uh, that are there, I think, and, and I'm glad you brought this up to miss that before. I think that's one of the key areas that most of the entrepreneurs at an early stage are not schooled on. They have not spent adequate time to really understand what their costs are and, and what, what, what it means to, to get the cash flow positive. Yeah, exactly. So we've covered a lot of stuff and we're running out of time. I want to ask you one last question. And that is, is there, if you could go back 20 years and to your younger self, what, what advice would you give yourself? And this is before you became an investor, because I know you would have told your younger investor to be a better investor, but what, when you were in your entrepreneurial years and building your business, what would you have told your younger self about building your business? Very good point. Um, again, it's, it's, it's having patience. It's keeping the passion. You know, it's always surrounding yourself with people smarter than you uh, that can help you grow. Uh, always do a better job at constantly evaluating your competition. Uh, knowing what your competition's doing, understanding what that, what what differentiators they have that you don't have, and then constantly focusing on how how I can do one up on that and create different uh, differentiators. One of the things I learned in business, Philip, is I have constantly got to be making changes. I've got to be on top of the latest changes, and if I can, I'd like to be ahead a little bit but always be prepared to adjust, modify, and move forward and keep up with the times because you can get stale in business very fast, more so today than ever. And if you're not on top of it and coming up with fresh new ideas, you're going to get stale and you're going to run into problems. So with that, let's say, uh, you know, that's exactly. So it's, it's always coming up with a fresh. So keeping, yep. keeping a lookout on the horizon and, constantly improving, constantly changing. So it's yes. been a pleasure, Bill. Thank you very much for sharing your words of wisdom with the audience and all the other right. founders out there. It's a lonely journey and, and I hope we've shortened their journey a bit. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, Philip, and uh, look forward to, to talking again. Well, thank you. I'm Philip Topham, the Savvy Founder, and thanks for listening. Please give a five-star review and, and more importantly, share with another founder so we can help them shorten their journey as well. Take care. Wishing you a bright and profitable future in both your personal business lives. 
Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and check out our website for tips, thesavvyfounder.com. You can also follow Philip on Clubhouse at The Savvy Founder, wishing you a profitable and bright future. Safe journeys. See you next week.